Friends, shall we again turn to our Lord in prayer? Gracious and loving God, this morning, as we take a moment to reflect upon your word, help us to hear your word. Use the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to guide us in your will and in your way. Lead us, teach us, and guide us. And may our lives and our words and our thoughts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our God, our rock, our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. Amen. So one of the things that I do in my weekly sermon prep is as I work towards Sunday morning and preaching is I spend quite a bit of time uh, reading commentaries, uh, articles, reflections, and other pastors' sermons that they have preached on the particular scripture passages that are in the lectionary for the week, um, the context and the times and, and, and other thoughts about that in order to spark and inspire uh, what I myself am going to preach. Something interesting popped out at me this week as I did this. As I read this week, I came across article after article, commentary after commentary, and sermon after sermon that talked about the nature of the rebuke that Paul gave to Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm sorry it wasn't Paul, Peter, that Peter gave to Jesus. Because of the context of the times that they were living in, it was quite clear that many of Jesus' disciples and followers were looking at him to be the militant messianic leader. They were looking for him to be the warrior messiah that would lead a revolution against the rule of Rome, kick those foreign invaders out of their homeland, and rightfully take his seat as the king of Israel. For all of the authors and, and the, the preachers that I read this week, this was the central point of Peter's rebuke of Jesus when he rebuked him for the things that he was saying. They were saying that, that Peter was telling him if this is who he is, then he wasn't being bold enough. You're not being strong enough, Jesus. You're not being bold enough. You're not talking out enough against Rome and against the Roman Empire. You need to be more radical. You need to be more firm. You need to be stronger, Jesus. That you're not going far enough as a messianic figure that he and the other disciples and followers of Jesus were hoping for. And I think that this is a very, very good point because this was uh, central to one of the things that was so actually radical about Jesus is that he wasn't that militant warrior messiah, that he came in an unexpected way and did unexpected things and turned the people's expectation of who the messiah was upside down. And I think that that is very important, but as I thought and as I prayed, I, I, I couldn't help but wonder if maybe Peter's rebuke of Jesus was about something else entirely. Because as we read what it is that he was saying, he was being pretty bold, was he not? He was being pretty strong in his words. He was saying, the Son of Man is going to make everyone so mad. I I'm going to make everyone so mad with what I'm about to do and with what I am about to say that they will kill me. And I will rise again from the dead in three days. He was being strong. He was being bold. He was being firm. He was standing his ground and saying, this is who I am and this is what's going to happen. And so there's a part of me that has to wonder 
if maybe what Peter was rebuking him about was this. Jesus, you need to hold back, man. You're making people mad. You're being offensive. If you just hold back, if you just be a little quieter, we'll be able to do all that you are here to do. If you just don't make quite so many people mad, Jesus, then maybe we'll be able to get more people on our side. And we'll be able to take over and kick those Romans out. Jesus, you need to stop talking so much. And Jesus' response to Peter is about that. I think about this, and I wonder if this is what Peter is really talking about and what Peter is really rebuking Jesus about, trying to pull him back, trying to get him to protect his own hide, save himself, don't make people so mad that they're going to kill you, Jesus, pull back. We can get more people on our side. And I wonder about if whether or not that is what Peter is talking about because I think about that in my own life and in the world around us and I think about how seductive that idea is. Not speaking up. Remaining quiet. Inviting my time. To illustrate this, I'd like to t- share a story here today. And actually, in my, in my sermon manuscript, I said, story time. So back when I was living in Chicago, I would regularly go downtown to see the sights, go shopping, or just transfer buses or trains to get where I was going. And when you're living and, and working and traveling in and through a city like Chicago, it's vitally important that you perfect what I call the city walk. The city walk. I see Susie nodding back there. The city walk. The city walk is brisk. Your eyes are forward. You are focused. You are paying attention to everything around you, but not getting distracted by anything around you. Nothing is going to deter you from your ultimate goal of getting where you need to go unaccosted. It takes some time to perfect your city walk, and before I had perfected my city walk, I would often get pulled into conversations with random folks on the street. Sometimes they were looking for spare change, sometimes they were trying to sell me something, sometimes they were full of inappropriate and weird comments, like the time that the guy said, hey, your fingers are fat. How can you even pick up anything with fingers that fat? What? I got somewhere to go, man. Let me just get my coffee. And oftentimes, it was people who were trying to get me to sign something. Petitions usually, uh, the standard let's get this issue on the ballot kind of thing, but occasionally it would be an organization that was trying to bulk up its membership or get people more information, get people involved in a lot of ways. I cannot tell you how many conversations I had with recruiters for Greenpeace. Now, I would often get pulled into these conversations, and at the time, I was somewhat conflict-avoidant. And I know that some of y'all are thinking, at the time, Leanne, you're still pretty conflict-avoidant most of the time. But because I was pretty conflict-avoidant at the time, but I'd get pulled into these conversations anyway, I'd often just sign my name, 
write my name down, put down my email address or my mailing address so they could send me the information and I could get them off my back and I could get on my way. Not real smart, Leanne. For many reasons, not real smart, but this is how I happened to one day sign up for information about an organization that was trying to make a comeback in the early 2000s. An organization that I had never heard about until that day, an organization that I hadn't heard about or didn't know anything about until I went home and Googled it at the end of the day after I had already signed my name and put down my address saying, hey, sure, send me more information. And I did that because, well, I wanted to get on my way. The guy was kind of aggressive. I wanted to get him off my back. And yes, I was a student. And yeah, I think democracy is a pretty good thing. Do y'all know where I'm going with this? It was the Students for a Democratic Society. I know, I had no idea. At the time, I was just trying to get them off my back and get on my way. And so my name got on a list of people who were interested in being a part of the SDS. That was the day that I realized I really needed to get my city walk down fast. I realized that I needed to get it down because the reality was that signing my name to that list of people who are interested in being a part of the SDS or getting more information about the SDS was something that could have looked very bad for me. It's something that could have been used against me. It's something that could have impacted my life and my career in a very negative way, and I'm actually thankful that nothing ever came of that. But I knew that I needed to stop signing my name to things, and so I never did again. And I very rarely engaged in conversations with people on the street in Chicago as I went on my way. So I got my city walk down and I stopped getting pulled over by the uh, recruiters for Greenpeace and my life was pretty happy. But this revelation did more in me than just get me more intent about not getting stopped and, and coerced into uh, signing things. It, it instilled in me a general nagging fear about signing any sort of document petition or anything like that. So to this day, if somebody says, hey Leanne, would you like to sign this? I grill them. What is it for? How is this going to be used? Who's going to have access to this information? Where is it going to be posted? And who is the group or the organization behind this? Am I saying more than I think that I'm saying by signing this? What is the real intent and what am I really saying? What is the point of this? It's really because I don't want something that I've said or signed to be taken out of context or misrepresented. It's because I don't want to be aligned with something if I'm not 100% with it. It's, I'm very, very careful about what public statements I make. So it's not impact my family or my career or my own life in a negative way. And I think that this is pretty smart. But eventually this attitude made me very wary about making public statements in general about things about speaking up about issues and topics and situations that might be controversial or upsetting or difficult in, in a community of people. 
I began to worry about how people might react, what people might say, what might happen as a result, how it might impact my life or my family in a negative way. And in a lot of ways, I've taken to living my life with my city walk on, emotionally focused, determined, brisk, eyes forward, aware of the world around me and all that is going on that should be talked about, but not allowing myself to get pulled into areas of conversation about them, except for in select, carefully discerned and carefully controlled environments. And again, I think in a lot of ways this can be wise, I think. I've decided to pick my battles, so to speak. I often use the phrase about choosing which hill I'm willing to die on. I tend to think that my choosiness in picking what I talk about and when and where allows me to make connections with a broader spectrum of people than I otherwise would be able to. It allows me to make a deeper impact with those people who might disagree with me or whom I might disagree with because I've taken the time to allow them to get to know me rather than my stances at first. And again, I think that is very wise in a lot of ways and has a lot of positive impact, but underlying it all, to be honest, is a sense of self-preservation. I'm doing it more than anything else to keep myself safe. Myself safe. And I wonder sometimes if I should speak up more, if I should say more, if I should do more. Sometimes I wonder if my instinct towards self-preservations make me silent when I should speak, still when I should act, frozen when I should be embracing another human being. And sometimes I wonder if my instinct and my drive towards self-preservation is keeping me from doing and going and acting as God calls me. I wonder if God is calling me to do something, but I am so afraid of how someone might react or what might happen as a result that I don't do and go as I am called. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we are told that there is a time for everything, a time to stay silent and a time to speak, a time to uh, act and a time to refrain from acting, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. But sometimes I wonder if I take that there's a time to out of the equation and go more towards there's a time to not do. And I think that for all of us, this is something that can impact our lives. And it's a good question for us to consider. Are we holding back from acting as God calls us to act out of fear of what might happen as a result? Are we not speaking on issues of importance in our lives, in our community, and in our world? Are we not speaking up when we see injustice happening before our faces because we don't want to upset someone? Are we not acting in righteousness and instead letting the world play out in front of us in in immoral and unjust and horrible ways because we just don't know what to say or what to do in any way that won't hurt us? 
Are we listening to the voice of Peter whispering in our ears saying, just hold back and maybe you'll be able to do better down the road. Don't be so offensive. Don't be so bothersome. Don't be so worrisome. Work with people. Get them on our side and work behind the scenes and get them on our side and then maybe we can go forward. Is there a time to stand firm and say, no, I must speak. I must do. I must go as I am called. You know, it is said that Martin Luther said, when he was commanded to recant his statements and theologies as heretical, when he was called by the diet of worms to realign himself with the doctrine and the practices of the church and the society around him that he had called out as wrong, immoral, and unjust. It is said that Martin Luther said, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Sisters and brothers, when are we called and how are we called to stand firm where God has called us? To speak even when our voices tremble, to reach out even when our hands shake, and to do and to go even when we are afraid for what it might mean. When and how are we called to do so? And do we have the courage and the trust in our Lord to speak, to go, and to do as God has called? Jesus referred to this as taking up our cross, taking up our ministry, and following him. Sisters and brothers, may we have the courage to take up that cross to speak, to do, to go as called, when necessary, right, and good. May God guide us with wisdom and mercy and love to know when the time to speak and the time to act is. Sisters and brothers, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, this morning we confess to you that we do too often seek to preserve our own life, even in the face of your call to us. Help us, O oh Lord, to react to your calling in our lives with courage and trust in you. Help us to not speak for the sake of speaking or speak out of our own arrogance, but instead help us to be guided in your wisdom and your love to know when the time to speak and when the time to act is. Help us to be courageous and strong and set aside the voices that encourage us to keep safe, keep secure, Help us, O oh Lord, to be bold where you have called us to be bold, 
to be loving where you have called us to be loving, to be comforting where you have called us to be comforting, and to be and do and act and speak as you have called us to in your world. Be with us in all things. Lead us, teach us, guide us, give us hope in your word, hope in your love, and hope in you. Help us to know that when we do follow you, when we do take up our cross, the ministry that you have given us, to go where you have called us, help us to know that you are with us and will be with us each and every step of the way. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.